Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good morning. On April 10th, 1922, Critical, and it's WBT's WBT was born. And I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, the big broadcast for WBT. Martin, Smith's Corner, Look at that day out there. What do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first-timer. Taken by Trapuca. Let's go! Hurricane Hugo has made land. Yeah, no power. No information coming into the station other than the telephone. It's a very special radio station because people care. It's the John Hancock radio program. Carolina Panthers have been named the NFL's newest expansion. <laughs> with their first touchdown. Bank of America Stadium. Kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage what here. a long, strange trip. It's still Throw in. me in the pool, please. Ray Carew's managed to evade police. I'm David Chadwick. The plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. will be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Damn. I'm Stacey Sims. Charlotte's Mr. Wright. Carolina Panthers are headed to Super Bowl 50. The Star Eagles are going to win the national What's going to be the impact? We may of this? see some serious issues here at midnight. We're providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bob. Hey, gather around, my friends, in this mythical ballot. WBT. The great colossus of the South. Through the years. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice of the good stuff. This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. A lot of people have made the statement that, you know, WBT is family. Concurring with that thought, I feel like there has been a death in my family today. On Friday, December 7th, 1990, to the surprise of many of its longtime listeners... I'm mad. All right, well, thank you for your comment. WBT announced major changes to its broadcast day. Out were James K. Flynn, Tom Desio, and the legendary H.A. Thompson. The new guy's going to come in from Jacksonville, and he's not going to be given a chance, and I feel bad for him. Oh, I think he will. In an unusual move, station management allowed each personality, if they desired, to have one last show to talk to listeners. This was a moment from Desio's nighttime broadcast. Uh, I heard someone mention a few minutes ago about a Jacksonville fella coming up and mm-hmm. being part of the staff. Who was that? A fellow by the name of John Hancock. Um... I think that he is originally from the Jacksonville area, has been uh, on the air in Denver or vice versa. I've met John a couple of times. He seemed like a heck of a good guy. I think you're going to be impressed with him. Okay. Um, I want you to give him a shot. He, you know, he's been through the rigmarole of, of being stood up and looked at and poked at and everything, and, and he's passed the mustard so far, so give him a chance. I ain't never seen nothing like this, and I'm 85 years old. I've never seen nothing like this before. Just who was this new mid-morning replacement? Hello? He had just been let go at Y103 in Jacksonville, Florida. And before that, he worked in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. And if you go back to the very beginning, it was Colorado. Should be a hot one today. 68 degrees at 643 from KBCO Boulder, the morning show. I'm John Hancock. RTD service now available out to the Boulder Reservoir. If you're headed out that direction, go to Rocky Mountain Records and Tapes and get Wide Awake in America, the brand new mini album and cassette from U2. On sale all weekend at Rocky Mountain for a low $3.49. 
back to 1990. Then WBT General Manager John Kilgo and Assistant Program Director Mary June Rose talk about their first impressions of Hancock. So I'm listening to tapes, and I run across this one tape of this guy who is basically just a smart aleck. And there was something about him. I, I mean, I actually laughed at his jokes. And I thought, hmm, this guy actually has something going on. I think this guy might be our guy. I said, uh, where does he work now? And they said, he, he just got fired. I said, that's perfect. But we're moving right in the right direction. <laughs> he knew nothing about all this stuff that was going on in town. He walks into me and he says, uh, what am, I, what am I walking into? I said, a firestorm. And he said, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, calm him down. Basically, we just took him and threw him in the studio, put him on the air, and then after a couple of days, I said, I'm not sure that having Hancock hang up on every other caller is the way to calm people down. John Hancock. On Monday, December 10th, the John Hancock era began on WBT. Hancock remembered that day exactly one year later in 1991. And if I remember right, it was a year ago, right now, plus 49 minutes, that I opened up by saying, boy, I'd hate to be in my shoes. I thought that was a pretty good opening. It was. It was also a year ago today that my stomach was real queasy. Hancock's brash, opinionated style was a shock to the system of many in WBT's listening audience. And let's just say the first few years were bumpy at times. Yeah. Is there a full moon? Hi, BT. Hi, John. Yes, sir. Just wanted to uh, make a comment on uh, what you had to say about Laura Quinn. I agree with you 100%. I think she's going to be wonderful. But in addition to that, I hope they're grooming her to take your place because you're about the awfulest thing that has ever happened to, to radio in Charlotte. But as the years passed, Charlotte began to hear Hancock's heart. And I woke up this morning after getting a call last night at about 3 o'clock this morning. And perhaps his most famous three hours from my mom came on March 16th, 1994. And I thought, gosh, as long as I'm in this great state of denial, <laughs> go ahead and go to work. I lost my dad last night, but I feel really at peace with basically what happened. And so we're going to go take care of business over the next couple of days, and then I'll be back on Monday, and I'll still be rude, and I'll still be arrogant, and I'll still be cantankerous. For three hours that day, listeners called in with stories of their fathers, a tradition that lives on today. But I'll still be a lot of other things that he instilled in me, too. Every March, John hosts his yearly Father's Day show, and many of you have called in. On the Saturday before, the WBT Hancock Father's Day breakfast is held at Sharon Presbyterian Church, benefiting the men's shelter. Also in the mid-90s, John's relationship began with the organization today known as Kids First. With founders Sharon Sanders and Wendy Tinetti, John began a yearly holiday on-air auction, a bike drive, and a toy and resource collection culminating with a huge Christmas party for needy families in the region. Come down, volunteer. Listen, if you can't help us with a bike or a toy or financially or something like that, come down and uh, give us some time. Oh my gosh. Thank you, everyone. Merry Christmas from Kids First!
1997, Hancock was moved to afternoons from 4 to 6. And then in the spring of 1999, John left WBT after a falling out with management. So June 1st, 1999 began a period of time he now calls his time out from WBT. And that hiatus had a new rockin' sound. From the John Hancock wing of the Dalton Building, Studio 1A, overlooking a funeral home, a parking lot, and the BFI dumpster, this is New Rock and Hancock on 106.5 The End. For the next two years, John hosted mornings on alternative rock station 106.5 The End. Butterflies in the end studios? Yeah, there's probably a couple. We're eight after six o'clock, and welcome to the new morning show at 106.5 The End of John Hancock. Then, two years later, right before the 9-11 terrorist attacks, he rejoined WBT to host Late Live and Local, weeknights from 8 to midnight. In 2002, he moved a few hours earlier, 6 to 9. And finally, in 2014, Hancock was moved to Afternoon Drive, 3 to 6 weekdays, where he has remained until now. It's the John Hancock Radio Program. Over his collective 25-plus years at WBT... I love this radio station. I want you to keep on doing what you're doing. I like you. I like you, too. I've never voted for you. And a uh, friend of the show's uh, Ron Rivera. Hello, Coach Rivera. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. You're late. Do you have an excuse? (laughs) I was in a meeting with the general manager. Yeah, well, you tell Gettleman I'd like to talk to him when this is all over with, would you? (laughs) I'm at WBT. We're uh, taking your speculation on what you think the uh, jury has decided. And then we're going immediately to the phone. So light them up, and uh, I want you—I want you to tell me what you think the jury's coming back with. The media essentially created Donald Trump, and then couldn't read Donald Trump. He didn't start this movement; he just recognized it. Lay back, lay back, go to sleep, my man. Wipe the blood from your face and your hands. Forgive yourself if you think you can. Go to sleep, go to sleep, my man. Did we hear that 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 man gave us ten thousand dollars? Yep. Oh my God. And apparently drove all the way down here from uh, Davidson to uh, do it. So uh... John Hancock has etched his name into the history of this legendary radio station. And on the station's 95th birthday on April 10th, 2017, WBT informed John that that etching was going to be literal. Now, John, wow. it is uh, 24 minutes till 6. And we have one more surprise. On his own show that Monday afternoon, John thought he was helping announce the next two inductees into the WBT Hall of Fame, and he was two-thirds right, but there was one more name to be added alongside Ray Gooding and Henry Bogan. We are not finished. Hmm. And uh, not everybody in this room knows what we're about to do. I can tell you that we've managed to keep this under wraps up until now, which is a monumental achievement. Mm -hmm. And so in studio, Ty Boyd, H.A. Thompson, Bo Thompson, and Mark Garrison made it official that Hancock would be the third in 2017. Way to go, John. Way to go. Hey. Hey. That, That seems excessive, doesn't it? We got him. 
Now tell us, tell us the truth. Did you know? No, I, I no. Um, yeah, I'm speechless. I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, I, uh, wait, wait, you look at those names. I'm not so sure I belong there, but I'll take it. Oh man, you, are. you deserve you, it, my pal. It, well, yeah. If you stick around long enough through enough ownerships <laughs> groups, they owe you something. <laughs> um, well, I'm blown away. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know that I have. Uh, I, I didn't prepare a speech because. Uh, but this is a great. This is this is my walk-off home run. This is my. Uh, this is probably the the uh, <clears throat> the greatest honor I'll ever see. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys and uh-huh. the people that have gone before and Charlie Crutchfield and. Uh, Thank you to everybody. Uh, oh my God! Uh, to yeah. work this place and uh, in its history, I'm uh, I'm uh, blown away. And to see the people out in the hall that are uh, saying. Uh, Oh, God, he's crying again. (laughs) (laughs) And so the date was set, June 28th, 2017, WBT's 95th anniversary celebration at the Foundation for the Carolinas in Uptown, highlighted by the inductions of Rockin' Ray, Hello Henry, and the only person ever to be inducted into the WBT Hall of Fame while he was still on the air, Charlotte's most beloved. My job is to continue to fuel the, the behemoth in orbit called WBT. And that has been built by people. And it's unbelievably humbling for me to be here tonight and meet so many of those people. You know who that voice was sitting across from him that day in the studio? It was the guy that he took over for. John Hancock replaced H.A. back in 1990. Now what does that say? That the guy who's sitting across from him cheering louder than anybody else. It was one legend welcoming his successor to the ultimate radio club. That's what it was. And I'll never forget it. And the two of them looking at each other, I said, that's what it's all about. That's two guys who understand what this radio station is, what the call letters mean, and they understand that at the end of the day, when you're behind this microphone, whatever capacity it is, at one Julian Price place, you're connected forever. I've wanted this all my life affirmation that I believe is sincere. Hey, Hancock, you were good. So for every kid who was always among the last when they were picking sides, I hope someday you get your night. Decide what to be and go be it. Follow your heart. Pick your battles. Do right. Be a good person. There was a dream, and one day I could see it. There was a kid with a head full of doubt. A young man from a small town with a very large imagination. Lay alone in his room with his radio on, looking for another station. For Rockin' Ray Gooding, for Hello Henry Bogan, and from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And on that night when Hancock officially joined the Hall of Fame to culminate the 95th anniversary celebration of WBT, Scott and Seth Avitt of the Avitt Brothers took the stage. Thank you. Thank you very much, y'all. I want to say uh, one, one thing here. Um, we have had a lot of good fortune, my brother and I and our band, and uh, we've had the very bizarre experience of... Uh, of having 
experiences that, that, um, that make former experiences seem smaller. Um, playing in a bar and then playing in a, maybe a theater that holds 100 people and that seeming huge and then playing in a place that, that holds 500 people and then going back to the place that holds 100 people and thinking, what was I thinking? That wasn't huge at all. That was small. The new place, this is big. And then that becomes 2,000, maybe 5,000 and maybe 10,000. And so all these places that seem monumental and seem so grand, the further we have gone into it and the more years that have passed, we look back and, and, and they don't look grand anymore, they look small. But when we first played on John's show, it felt like the big time, and I'm not joking, it still feels like the big time when we get to play on John's show. And um, there's something about it that just feels so significant and, uh, and like the big time. So John, thank you for letting us be on the big time. An unforgettable night capped by a performance from two worldwide superstars. And the Avid brothers point back to early appearances on John's show and his early friendship during their career as things that springboarded them to now incredible success. So fast forward now to August 14th, 2019. My uh, little surprise is uh, not going to be a real surprise to uh, some of you because uh, you listen to the show on a regular basis and uh, we've kind of uh, talked about um, this process. There's an Associated Press uh, NORC Center for Public Affairs poll that came out recently and it said nearly a quarter of Americans never plan to retire from work. But I'm not one of them. On October the 17th, we'll do our last show on WBT. And so let's hit fast forward one more time. Okay, okay, now we are on the doorstep of John Hancock's retirement. That doorstep would be episode number five of my Century podcast. We'll call this the Hancock Exit Interview. <laughs> and, and if I know you, John, you're on the home stretch of the farewell tour now and, and probably getting a little bit tired of all this. Yeah, too much attention. Um, although when it's all, it's like that Wednesday that we had where we had all the uh, listeners come out, and uh, uh, I didn't look forward to that happening. But once it was over, I was uh, glad that I did. It's been. Uh, I never thought this was a really big deal, me retiring, and um, and I and I still don't. I think you'd have to be an egomaniac to think that it was huge. But I don't know who the comedian was a long, long time ago. But there was a comedian that, and part of his bit, part of his shtick was, just give me a sign, Lord, just give me a sign, and thunder would go off, and he'd say any sign at all, and all of a sudden power lines would fall off, and cars would drive off the road, and he'd say any sign uh, at all, and he he never would recognize the signs, and by all the attention I've seen, then you know may, maybe I'm not seeing the signs. You know, uh, your wife and I have exchanged a good number of emails over the last uh, few years with the Hall of Fame induction, and uh, I had to do an incognito thing where I somehow uh, got access to your box of tapes unbeknownst to you a few years ago. So uh, I've gotten to know Susan uh, fairly well, and Susan refers to you 
in emails as beloved. I've never heard her say John. It's always beloved this and beloved that. And, it, you know, it's, it's probably a good place to start this today. I got a lot of things to talk to you about, uh, and I appreciate you sitting down with me. But Charlotte's most beloved for people who have not been here since the beginning, and as long as you've been here, that's very well a lot of people listening right now. Where did that moniker come from? How did it originate? Um, I attached it to myself. <laughs> there was a uh, there was a, a pretty strong strain of negativity towards me when I got here, and in those days we didn't have phone screeners. We ran our own boards, and uh, we kind of really uh, answered our own phone calls. And so if you called WBT and you didn't get a busy signal, there was a pretty good chance you were going to be on the air. And we never knew what was coming. Um, we were on seven-second delay in case uh, the word was said, but uh, we didn't know what the phone call was going to be. And so people really had uh, open access to you, and if they didn't like you, they, they had the avenue to tell you they didn't like you. And many took advantage of that uh, opportunity. So I went through months of that where people were telling me to go back where I came from and we don't like you and blah, blah, blah. And I remember telling a lady one day, for every one of you jerks that call me and tell me to go back where I came from, I'm adding three months onto the time I planned to stay here in the first place. Um, and then one day after, an er after a, a, a negative phone call, I started referring to myself as Charlotte's most beloved, pure sarcasm, arrogance, just to hack them off. Um, figured that they would hate that more than anything I could possibly do. And, uh, and beloved, I mean, we, 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 we pronounced it that way in the whole. So I started calling myself Charlotte's Most Beloved. And somehow or another, um, we used it enough for about eight to ten years that it started to stick. And now as I get ready to retire after 29 years, uh, I, I think there's genuinely people that truly believe it. Well, that and there's people who weren't born when uh, the whole thing started. And I think uh, that's an important thing to say is that you have followers, listeners now that uh, feel like they've listened to you for a long time. But when you do 29 years in one place at one radio station, you have a lot of people that come on at different points of the of the spectrum. That's humbling, though. You know, because you kind of forget that you've been here as long as you have. And I'll have a 40-year-old guy stop me in Lowe's or somebody like that and say, yeah, I've listened to you all my life, or I, uh, my, I used to listen to you in my dad's car on the way to school. And you're talking to a 40-year-old man, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, come on, you can't be. And then you think, well, wait a minute. Yeah. If you subtract almost 30 years from that, then that 40-year-old that was 10 years old or 11 or 12 years old. And uh, that's pretty humbling humbling when people come up and say to you, I've listened to you all my life. I wonder if the guy we're about to listen to could have ever imagined that you'd be saying that in 2019, that you'd encounter people that, that would say, uh, I've listened to you all my life. Because what I want to do right now, and this is going to be an element of uh, something fun, I think, over the next uh, hour or so as we talk to John Hancock here, but I'm going to play some audio that I don't think you've heard in years. And this first piece of audio uh, is representative of some of the calls that you got during that first year. And I hear you say it to people on the air these days. Boy, you don't understand how rough it was in the beginning. Uh, people hated me. And that's not just, you know, you're not just throwing around those anecdotal stories. This is true. And I want to play this audio. This is a, a few callers from what would have been uh, at some point in time during 1991 over the course of your 
first year at WBT. Hi, how you doing? Hi, is this John? Yes. Uh, I want to applaud the lady who called prior to the news uh-huh. and said that she would like you to leave town. Uh-huh. I really don't want you to leave town. I'd just like you to leave WBT Radio. Where would you suggest I go? Wherever you want to go, wherever there's another job for you that's good for your lifestyle and your style of broadcast. Well, this is a good station for me for my style of broadcast and my lifestyle, so why should I leave? That's just my feeling. Okay. Uh, I don't know how anyone in management could have replaced H.A. Thompson's style with yours. Uh, He made me happy. He made me feel good. I never, ever listened to his show when I didn't enjoy it. I've never listened to your show when I did enjoy it. Well, there's an easy remedy for that, though. And I do listen to other stations. I flip to your channel or to your station sometimes when I want to get the news. And I flip there sometimes just hoping that you're not there. Well, I'm here every day from 10 till 1 o'clock, and I'll give you a hot tip. I will be for some time. Well, I hope not, but... Well, no. I mean, count on it. Okay. Okay? Bye-bye. Hi, BT. How about a suggestion from somebody out here, number one thing we'd like to do? Okay. Quit this damn quail bashing and find something more intelligent to talk about. Why does this bother you so much, sir? It doesn't bother me. It's just idle. It, has, it must. It's, this, Everybody's doing it. It must bother you. This is your second phone call this morning. Huh? This must bother you. It's your second phone call this morning. No, it isn't either. I just got in. Well, I'm going to do a top ten list in a minute, so uh, go wash your car and then come back. Don't go f*** yourself. Hi, BT. Yeah. Uh, May I say that if I was one of of the people who pay for the commercials on on the air, uh, I wouldn't like to be paying for airtime all the time to have you uh, throw out uh, looking for girlfriends all the time. And maybe your whole problem is the word that you brag on so much, arrogant. Instead of uh, being arrogant, why don't you work on your personality a little bit? The word arrogant means full or due of unwarranted pride and self-importance, overbearing and haughty. Now, there's a difference between being headstrong and being arrogant. And try working on it. It'll do you good. Okay. Hi, BT. Is it John? Yes. How you doing this morning? I'm real good. How are you? Hey, say so you like uh, Dale Earnhardt. Do I what? Like Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, oh, I love Dale Earnhardt. Well, I mean, figuratively. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm a big Earnhardt fan. I became a big Earnhardt fan uh, watching races up at Pocono when I was working up in that part of the country. Well, I guess both of both y'all were just self-centered, egotistical pricks, aren't you? I suppose that's probably true, yeah. Takes one to know one. Uh, are we done? We're done. Yeah. Go work on that GED. Don't worry. I think you're, you're going to make it. Hi, BT. Yes, John Hancock in. Yeah, that's me. John, we on the air? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just uh, had to call you about your little comment about the GED. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was kind of tactless. I thought he was kind of tactless. Well, I, you know, about the GED comment about being uneducated, obviously you were associating the two. Um, I have my GED, I have my bachelor's degree, a master's, and a doctorate in psychology. Then you should be able to understand what I was saying. Well, I was assuming he was uneducated. It was, it was tactless, John, so please refrain from it again. Okay, thank you, sir. Hi, WBT. Hi, John. Yes. This is Alice. I'm listening to the ladies speak. Have you heard the saying, please all and you will please none? Have I what? Have you heard the saying, please all and you will please none? You're doing a fantastic job. Well, you never can please all. (laughs) You keep up the good work. Okay, I'll do it. Thanks. Thanks, bye-bye. A couple of minutes before 1 o'clock, got time for two more phone calls. Hi. Hi, John. Yes. I think management made the right choice. I listened to FM. Me too. I listened to FM. 
until 10 a.m., then I changed your program. Good. How about sticking around, buddy? We well, appreciate you. I, I am going to stick around. Atta boy. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, BT. Hey, I think you're adorable, and if you weren't too young for me, I'd meet you down at Jonix any time. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not too young for anybody, am I, at 38? Oh, yeah, you're too young for me. Oh, I don't know. You I say... like older men. Oh, I see. Well, I'll tell Particularly with lots of money, and I am sorry about that. Well, here, do this then. Send me a quarter. And I'll call you in 20 years. Okay, we'll oh, do that. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> that first call that you heard there, and I, I tacked on a few of the defenders because I wanted to give a flavor of, of what that uh, that era was like. But when you listen to that, boy, I bet the memories come rushing back, don't they? Well, they do. Um, it's interesting to hear me. What an arrogant jerk. <laughs> um, because, uh, But, I, you know, I think at that point I had probably fielded enough negative phone calls that that was probably one of the days that I was probably saying to myself, I'm not going to let them get to me today. And so I was just as nice and cordial to her, but uh, but that, that arrogance that I hear in there... Um, yeah, that's me. I, apparently, when I, you know, I was supposed to start on Monday morning, and my first shift was 10 to 1, and they shortly thereafter moved me to 9 to noon. But I was supposed to start on Monday morning at 10 o'clock, and we, they put me on on Saturday and Sunday before that um, to learn the board and kind of get used to the studio. And as soon as I said WBT Charlotte on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, I watched all eight phone lines light up like the starting blocks of a quarter-mile race. <laughs> and I called Mary June, the program director, or the assistant program director, and said, what do I do? And she said, well, you can either take the calls or you can ignore them. And uh, we decided to take them. So I knew by the time I got on Monday it was going to be pretty hairy. And apparently my first line when I got on the air on Monday was, boy, I'd hate to be in my shoes. <laughs> I don't remember saying that. But uh, what a great line. And I really have been overwhelmed by uh, anybody who, I don't know, sometimes you figure yourself to be fairly inconsequential, but I have had an outpouring of wonderful people uh, concerned about my cat um, in so many different ways that I had not ever suspected would happen. And given my standing in this community and how I arrived and what the first four months were like and uh, how I know I make very many of you angry at time to time and... Uh, I know that there are a lot of you out there who uh, aren't listening anymore, uh, although you uh, tune in every day because you're addicted to me, uh, but that you don't particularly stand with my point of views. But I have even heard from uh, a couple of, the, of you. Uh, I got an interesting letter the other day that said, Dear John, I'm not happy you're here. I don't like your radio program, although I do tend to listen an awful lot to reinforce the fact that I don't like you on the radio and I don't agree with your views, but... How is your cat? And it's little things like that that have come to mean a lot to me, and I've had uh, all sorts of things. Anyway, I will give you the uh, uh, the update on my uh, cat since so many people have asked. She's had a reasonably good day, three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and yesterday. This morning she wasn't real good, but the results from uh, Wednesday are this. My cat has histiocytic lymphoma, which is cancer. Chemotherapy probably is not a very good chance for her to work, and besides that, from an expense standpoint, it's probably not good. Uh, with Even with the treatment and the chemotherapy, she maybe would have a year to live without probably about two months. So we will give her cortisone pills uh, to slow the process, and we will um, give her an IV once a week, and uh, she'll probably have about two months. Do me a favor, if you will, please. 
and don't send me cards and don't uh, call my number. Make donations to the Humane Society, and when she goes, I'll let you know. I am really touched by the outpouring you all have displayed to me, and I really appreciate it. Um, and that's that. I'm Hancock, and I'm out of here. Now, I know you uh, have heard the, the Father's Day show many times, and you play parts of it during your subsequent Father's Day shows, but when's the last time you heard that audio? Oh, it's been... I don't know that I've ever heard that audio. Um, now I know what she had. <laughs> but it it is... It, that that is a great reminder of those who opposed me uh, opening up their hearts to me all at the same time. Um, I wonder if that would be possible in today's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We seem to uh, hold our differences personally today. I wonder how many people would drop their guard to uh, uh, wish me uh, well with my cat while at the same time telling me they didn't like my show. Um I, uh, those were better days. And isn't that interesting? Those were better days, but you're listening to something that wasn't uh, good at all. At least the, the And by the way, uh, just as a point of closure, I mean, I know the cat ultimately passed on. How long after was it? Yeah, I don't remember specifically, um, but um, a neat thing came out of that, too. I called my vet one morning. She finally uh, laid right outside of... I had a typical uh, one-bedroom apartment. You've seen the layout a million times, and uh, she laid right outside of the kitchen uh, where the dining room started um, for an entire weekend, just kind of laid there, and uh, so I knew. And I called my vet on a Monday morning, Dr. Ferguson. And I said, I'm going to have to put her down. Is there any way you could come do it here? And she said, I'd have to, I'll have to charge you. And I said, that's fine. And she came over uh, with an assistant, and I, uh, I'd never gone through that before. Um, I, I had gone through when I was a kid having to put dogs down, but my dad always did it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I sat there with grins on my lap, and um, she uh, gave, him, gave her the shots. And I remember having to say to her, is she gone? And he, and she finally said yes. It was really one of the most peaceful things I've ever been through. Um, but that veterinarian never charged me for the house call and coming over, and I always appreciate it. And every now and then I drive past that apartment complex and, uh, uh, and think of it. So Father's Day uh, is uh, an iconic day in the John Hancock catalog, and one of those days where uh, Charlotte started to see uh, a, a full other side of John Hancock, but but the the cat story was really the 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 moment that that door opened, right? I think so to an awful lot of people. Um, yeah, it, it, radio is an interesting thing, uh, and I guess anybody uh, that is in the public eye, if they take a poll and you finish number one in best and worst, then you're doing something right. WBT took a hard turn when they hired me because uh, they had been what had been called a full-service radio station before that. So they were mixing a little bit of talk with a little bit of music and a lot of community involvement and so on and so forth. When they brought me in here, John Kilgo, finally, after about eight days of me being on the air uh, and all the phone calls uh, telling me they hated me and this, that, and the other, he finally came to me one day and said, if you want to quit playing music, quit playing music. And he knew 
he kind of had a directive that we were headed towards talk. It was interesting because they wanted to sign Rush Limbaugh at the time. Limbaugh was at the beginning of his reign, but they were afraid he might be a little bit too conservative. Well, Rush is almost a moderate compared to some people that are on the on the radio now. Mm -hmm. But um, I was a hard right turn for them. And um, you're not thinking right conservative term. You're thinking right turn, meaning uh, away from one era and into a talk era that no one was used to or had any 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 precedent for. Yeah, it, it may have been almost a U-turn or uh, yeah. uh, gotten on a different freeway. You could not have had Rush Limbaugh or, or the, the table would not have been set for Rush Limbaugh and the shock factor of Limbaugh's style had you not had John Hancock before that. Well, that's why the timing was so perfect for me to come in when I came in. And I had never done talk, and they had never done talk. So um, neither one of us knew what we were talking about. And so we uh, kind of experimented. It was, a, it was, an, it was an, looking back on it, it was an unbelievable opportunity for me to set a precedent which I never would have imagined would have ever come my way. Uh, you always kind of think that everything's already been invented, that you would never. Uh, I, you know, if somebody, if they had hired uh, Keith Larson back in December of 1990, or they had hired Jason Lewis back in uh, December of 1990, then they would have been what ushered in the new era of talk radio. So it was a great timing thing for me. Well, you know, there are, by my count, seven different, Hancock eras or or stints or time periods <laughs> since you've been here, since you started on December 10th of 1990, because a lot of people don't realize this. This is one of my favorite BT history questions. The last show to be in the Rush Limbaugh spot before Rush Limbaugh was Mike and Barbara McKay. Spend part of your day with Mike and Barbara McKay on 1110 Hi there. Barbara just leaned over and said 61. I yes. wanted to make sure you were accurate with that. Well, I'm I, sure you are. You're always accurate. This is your official conversation. Of course, and if it's accurate, it's 61. If he says it's 61, it's 61. Yeah, it, it's very mild out. You haven't been out since early this morning. No. So it, uh, but uh, when you get out, you will feel a difference uh, after the radio show when you get out in the, in the atmosphere today. You'll notice it's considerably milder than it has <laughs> then, been in recent days. And that means the ice will be off of our steps now. It snowed <laughs> at no one's house but ours, I think. <laughs> now, now, and, and Mike and Barbara McKay started and were on for a very short time, but they, they were after you when you first started out because you were uh, bookended by uh, not Russell and Flynn, but what was called Russell and Friends. Don Russell captained that ship, but he had, I think, Lori Thomas in the beginning. And then in later years, you had Maura Quinn and you had Danny Fontana find his way into there. But you were bookended by uh, an ensemble Don Russell-led show and then Mike and Barbara McKay on the other side. So, uh, again, back to my point about this station wasn't ready for Limbaugh yet. And I don't, I don't mean it by in conservative terms necessarily as much as I do as just uh, in-your-face, shock-type shock talk radio. And shock because they'd never heard anything like that. When they were done talk before that... It was, you know, people would say, well, you know, they would state an opinion and the host would say something along the lines of, well, I, I, I certainly uh, I can certainly understand where you're coming from. Nobody was ever arguing with anybody. And then I started arguing with them. 
So it set a new, different tone. But it took us a while to get to the point that we were ready for Rush Limbaugh, or ready to start to, to make the to, to make the leap to politics. Well, we weren't conditioned as radio listeners, uh, and definitely not in Charlotte, but really across the country. Listeners weren't conditioned to take a side, have it be right or have it be left. Like you say on WBT, and I was uh, very young in my career here then, but I was working uh, as a part-timer on the weekends and as a fill-in, and I had exposure to people like Henry Bogan and people like Mike Collins. And you're right, those shows weren't decidedly political. They were decidedly... Entertainment. Yes, exactly. And uh, so, again, by my calculation here, uh, we have the 10 to 1 era, the 9 to noon, the 4 to 6, then the... uh, Time Time out, out, as you call it. (laughs) Then you have 8 to 12, then you have 6 to 8, and now you have 3 to 6. That's that's seven, really six, you know, prolonged eras. But if you want to really be technical about it, you have seven. So uh, the only shift you haven't done is the one that I do. (laughs) Did you ever want to do mornings? Well, I I never did mornings here. I've done mornings in my career before. Did you ever want to do mornings here? No. No. No, not necessarily. Um I never got over them taking me off 9 to noon. Um, I always felt like I had earned that show more than anybody else in town earned uh, their position after all the negativity to finally uh, have won an audience over. We were pulling double digits. Rush was pulling double digits. We were kicking butt. Uh, Between the two of us, uh, that was six hours of uh, unbelievable um, high-rated radio for the radio station at the time, and then they uh, they took uh, they they moved me to four to six in the afternoon. So I went from a three-hour jam session to a two-hour show that was filled with news and traffic and weather and uh, stock market reports, and uh, I never got over them taking me off nine to noon. I still haven't technically gotten over them taking me off nine to noon. Well, speaking of 9 to noon, I want to play uh, something here, the, the full version of this. You hear elements of it, because I play a, a variation of it on in the morning when we do your, your Hancock moment. But back in the very beginning at WBT, this is how your show started every weekday. Now, of course, the talk bed, and I remember when uh, when Mike Collins commissioned these jingles, and everybody had their Henry had one, and Mike had one, and Russell, and but but uh, this yours, I think, was more dynamic than anybody else's, and I always thought that of those jingles from that era, yours fit you better than anybody else. It's it's like it's like uh, running into an old friend right now. Uh, it's interesting to hear it again. I was actually uh, when uh, when we got into the donut part of it, wondering what I was going to say, but you <laughs> did. You used to set up the show uh, in that little donut and uh, and talk about what was coming up, and it ends with a with a fanfare. So uh, now it's like running now. Were, were these the old Jim Mosier? No, these were done by uh, TM, TM Century, TM actually. Century. I had a listener uh, print uh, green and white bumper stickers one time, big ones, that uh, said, uh, Hancock is right, after Rush. Uh, and it's the first time I'd ever seen that bumper sticker. They were huge. They were they were, they were like the size of billboards. But uh, we had a lot of listener participation back there. People who, uh, after about nine months to a year, there were still plenty of people that still hated me. But then we, the, the difference was, then we had people that actually loved me. Do you think that Rush took the edge off a little bit? 
No, not really, because you know Rush was more whimsical and fun back in those days. Yeah, that's uh, true. The feminazis, and uh, um, he he wasn't quite as he was pushing more of the conservative. The fact that conservatives didn't have a mouthpiece or didn't have a voice. Rush has evolved as well. Uh, in fact, I think Rush is as good as he's ever been right now, because I think he's more of an explainer as to what's going on than he is trying to sell um, what's going on. So, like I said, uh, of the seven Hancock eras, the second one uh, was nine to noon. And your hours shifted because they did bring in Rush a few years later. The, the Mike and Barbara McKay thing didn't last long. And, uh, again, I, I uh, can look back on it now and connect all the dots. But you did. You set the table for where WBT was going to go over the next almost 30 years, and the next big shoe to drop uh, after you came and were acclimated was, was bringing Rush in, and, and, and Rush has been there ever since. Yeah, uh, and, and, and nobody's going to get bigger than Rush. Um, I would have expected Rush to walk away five years ago, sign the last big contract and walk away five years ago, but uh, Rush is an institution in this country, like it or not. Well, and it's interesting what you say about you thinking that he is as good now as he's ever been. Uh, you have a perspective of listening to him almost every day like nobody else because, I mean, there are other people in the country who may have had the same time slots, but if we're talking through the prism of WBT, uh, there you were preceding him, then you moved to afternoon, so you followed Rush. You preceded him, and then you followed him for several years, and then you've been part of the station for most of the last three decades, and, and you have... Uh, you've been close to him every day, if not listening to every moment of the show, but you've been close to it. So you, better than most, know the different eras that he's gone through. Well, you you uh, you have to get ready to adjust, and you uh, you talk about my seven chapters or my six. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you, uh, you you have to learn how to reinvent yourself. I had a, a program director and a uh, general manager once accuse me of not being adaptable and not uh, at reinventing myself, and I just thought that was the most asinine thing ever because. That's all I've done over uh, almost 49 years is reinvent myself from a uh, uh, from a jock to a um, to a talk show host to a morning guy to an afternoon guy to an overnight guy to a, I mean you know I've uh, I've had to reinvent myself several times leaving WBT after uh, nine years and going down to the end when I was on timeout I had uh, gotten to a point with the uh, current management that I just uh, it was just time for me to go and that was the toughest thing I've ever done in my life because to walk away from the three letter calls and the 50,000 watts and and in exactly the scenario the situation I'd begged for I prayed for my whole life career wise to walk away from BT and think that was going to be the last time was really hard but then I went to a uh, alternative radio station which was somewhat back to my roots, but all of a sudden I went from talking to people's parents to then going down to the end where I was talking to them. And I had a morning show partner by the name of Ethan, and we had a news lady by the name of Suzanne Red, and Ethan would walk me into territory that I no more wanted to get into than fly to the moon because it would be contrary to what my listeners back at WBT, same community, would have been comfortable with. 
Um, I mean, we were talking, you know, TNA and all sorts of stuff down at the end. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? I, I've uh, I've earned a certain level of respect in this uh, community. Uh, and now I'm acting like I'm hanging out in a locker room. So uh, so that was kind of interesting. But then I learned a great lesson from a politician. Um, I ran into him one day and he said, I listen to you every morning on the end. And I looked at him and I said, oh, hell you do. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, I do. And I said, I can't believe that you are listening to us talk TNA on. Uh, and, and he said, listen, he said, it's like uh, Howard Stern. You, you, it's I'm in my car by myself and I'm listening to you guys. He says, it's, you know, it's like a 14 year old with a Playboy magazine. I know I'm not supposed to enjoy it, but I did. Well, and you never intended for the story to go the way that it did, but you end up leaving in 1999 uh, after doing afternoons, you know, two hours in the afternoon for uh, a while. But uh, do you remember or want to talk much about what led to you leaving that day from here? Well, they had hired a program director uh, by the name of Randall Bloomquist, and Randall and I've had conversations since, and we're not bitter enemies or anything like that. But uh, he was brought in here to uh, improve our 2554 demographic, and uh, consequently, a lot of people at the time left. Mike Collins left, and Jerry Klein left, and uh, Henry Bogan, who had threatened to uh, retire every time his contract ended, uh, and everybody would always talk him out. And I think that's kind of what Henry wanted people to do, was to talk him out of retiring. And then all of a sudden, he announced he was retiring, and nobody talked him out of it. I think that hurt Henry's feelings. But there was a litany of people that were leaving the building. And all of a sudden, I was kind of the last guy uh, standing, and he and I had kind of had fought with each other for two and a half years. And um, one day, after two and a half years, and Rick Jackson, our current general manager, had talked me off the cliff several times. Uh, South End Brewery and Alexander Michaels, and I can, <laughs> we, we got to know the restaurants in town pretty well because Rick would try to, Rick did everything he could to try to keep me here they saw you guys walk in they said all right they're going to be here for a while <laughs> yeah oh no they they did we draw we drank a lot of tea <laughs> um but rick uh, rick worked as hard as he could and then one day i'm on the air and as soon as we went into the news as soon as the jingle for the news played the door to the studio opened and there stood randall and he said who was that you were talking about too and i said it was bob rucho and he said, and who is Bob Rucho? And I answered whatever he was, city councilman or county commissioner. When I was on the phone with Bob, I couldn't remember which district he represented. And I couldn't remember whether he was a city councilman or a county commissioner. So that's why I never specified in the phone call who he was. But Randall said to me as he kicked the door open, who was that? And I said, it's Bob Rucho. And he said, who is Bob Rucho? And I said, uh, uh, government official. And he says, well, you never would have known that by listening to your damn show, would you? And all of a sudden, he walked away. And if you ask John Moore, who was my producer that day, uh, apparently I left the studio pretty abruptly. I don't remember specifically leaving the studio, but I do specifically remember being about three and a half inches away from uh, Randall's face in his office, had him walked into a counter corner and said, you and I have a meeting tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock for the purpose of me quitting and I came back at nine o'clock the next morning to uh, uh, to quit. And uh, Rick Jackson made me wait till nine thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I went into Rick's office, and Rick said to me, "John, 
take two weeks. And if you still decide after two weeks you're going to quit, quit. And uh, he called me after, and I said, I won't change my mind. It's taken us two and a half years to get there, but I'll take your two weeks because that's two weeks before I get to severance, so I'll take that. And he called me after 10 days and said, where's your head at right now? And I said, I'm leaving. Now, you did leave. You went over to the end. At that point in time, could you have ever imagined that you would come back someday? No. And in fact, when uh, Clear Channel bought the end from the Dalton family, uh, obviously I started looking for a job again. And at that point, I um, thought I was probably going to have to leave Charlotte. But I had kind of, I, I married into two kids. And uh, their dad lives here in Charlotte. He's a great guy. He's, uh, he and I are like fr- uh, friends anyway. Um, but uh, I had kind of made a commitment that I was not going to take my kids, Susan's sons, um, out of the city where their father lives. And so, you know, I got a job offer from Portland, Oregon, which I would have loved to have taken because it would have shot me back west and all sorts of things. But I couldn't. Portland, Oregon. I mean, you know, I might have been able to justify Nashville, Tennessee or uh, something that was in the spitting distance of uh, Charlotte, but I could never justify Portland, Oregon. And uh, so one thing led to another. I kept on talking to people around the country and they kept on saying, have you uh, have you talked to Bill White? Have you talked to Bill White? Have you talked? Well, Bill White was the guy who took over from Randall when he left. Yeah. And he was the new program director here and widely respected and known by and everybody I talked to said, have you talked to Bill White? And I finally decided maybe I ought to talk to Bill White. But the idea of coming back here, I think I originally talked to Bill White to see if maybe he could help me get a job someplace else. And then one thing led to another. But that was interesting, too, because when Bill and I finally sat down and actually seriously talked about coming back to WBT, they were going to offer me nights. Well, that wasn't my preference, but, I, you know, if, I, if that would allow me to stay in town where my sons uh, needed to be, then that was, that was one thing. But then Bill White said to me, and I still believe to this day that this was probably an edict from Rick Jackson, but Bill White said to me, we'd love to have you back. No chance for advancement ever. We would hire you for nights, and there would be no chance for advancement ever. And I remember thinking to myself, even if that was true, why Why? would you ever tell somebody that? Yeah. Why would you take the incentive out of... But I kind of had no choice uh, but to get my kids through high school, and that was another three and a half or four years. And if nights were good enough for Henry Bogan uh, and Bob Lacey, they were certainly good enough for John Hancock. And so uh, I came back, and uh, then I just had to outlast them so I could uh, uh, kill that no chance for advancement ever. Well, I remember your first night back because I was in there with you. I think I was in uh, running the board and helping you restart for about a week there, and it just so happened that this was... Now, you gave us all the context of what was happening at WBT and with you personally, but it also happened to be two weeks, give or take, before 9-11... One 2001. Week. One week. Okay. One week. They brought me back on September 4th. It was actually, it was, so it was kind of interesting because all of a sudden we got the three days of phone calls of, oh, John, so glad you're back uh, out of the way. And then the next week, 9-11 happened. Yeah. And the station, all stations that were News Talk changed dramatically for uh, a couple of months at least. And, and as far as, f- it was almost as if 
9-11 coverage became a format for about three months. It was, but it was, you know, it's interesting because it was the reason that WBT decided to bring me back is they decided to go live again at night. So it was a perfect decision for WBT. Even if they hadn't hired me, they would have hired yeah. somebody to go back to live programming at night. And uh, as it turns out, they go back to live programming and then five work days later, but a big 9-11 hits. Well, at that point, you needed somebody on at li- at live at night. Well, and one of the things that Bill White did uh, during his time here and as program director during 9-11, uh, you had you back on the air live and we had our other live hosts. But uh, in spots where there had been syndicated programming, uh, a lot of times Bill White would put on people satellite people from other markets so they could have a live voice and those very types of people that's how you got keith larson that's how you got jeff katz those two guys before they were ever regular hosts here they were live hosts that bill put on via satellite so that we could have live coverage and then they became uh, you know those uh, moments became uh, auditions for both of those guys and there are more but i know keith was one of the first examples of those that uh, began on bt you know in spot places during the 9-11 era and then in 2002 uh, he was hired here full-time and he would have been working huntsville alabama at the time coming out of getting out of radio for a period of time and going to work for uh, mcdonald's so uh, you're not, ba- not as a window uh, clerk, by the way, as an executive. Yes. So I want to. So you're back at WBT, and 9/11 happens, but eventually things normalize to a degree. I, although I, I would say that 9/11 changed talk radio and and media forever in it some did. ways. But there was normalcy that crept back in eventually, and you started the late live and local era. And I know at the time, part of your head, as you just alluded to, was thinking, uh, I don't want to be at night forever. This is not how it's supposed to end. But uh, along the way, you realized, as you said with Henry and Bob Lacey, this nighttime thing with the signal at night and the power, I mean, you're basically a a, a syndicated show when the sun goes down. Yeah, you are Maine to Miami, Canada to Cuba. And uh, in fact, we put a map up that I had gone to the uh, map shop and got, and it was uh, essentially uh, the eastern part of the United States, and, and we uh, we put it up, and we got these little red flags on pins, and every time we'd get a phone call from Biloxi, Mississippi, or Pittsburgh, or Bangor, Maine, or Canada, or we had one guy uh, that we knew was listening to us down in Cuba, but he never could get his phone in. We heard from several people who had gone to Cuba that this guy was a big WBT John Hancock fan, but we never could get him on the phone because uh, the phone service was sporadic down there. But anyway, we we stuck uh, these red flags in this map, uh, and literally it went uh, Canada to Cuba. So it was. The guys from WCBS in New York used to call us on a regular basis, and um, it was uh, it was uh, it was fun. And 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 there was a there's a freedom and a liberty at night when you've got three or four hours that you could really dig into something and uh, and run with it. There was, heck, management wasn't listening to us. They were all home watching TV. So we kind of had a freedom that you never had had before. Well, and I remember uh, the late live and local uh, dynamic of that show. Uh, it was the first time, at least for me, having grown up listening to this station, it was the first time that that time period had felt like Henry Bogan 
Uh, and I don't mean that you you and Henry Bogan are are completely different in sound and, and style, but the feel of it being an inviting time to listen to the radio at night again. Uh, nothing against Jerry Klein, uh, rest in peace, Jerry, but Jerry was decidedly political, always was. And, and and you brought back an atmosphere to nights that I don't think we'd we'd had since the Bogan era. Well, one of the interesting things about WBT is the fraternity that you can join if you allow yourself to. Um, when I got here to do mornings, three-letter call, 50,000-watt radio station, started in 1922. Um, I'm a radio junkie in the fact that I always wanted to work in AM, FM, TV shop. So Jefferson Pilot at that time with Channel 3 and the FM and the AM, that that, that fulfilled a dream of mine. But uh, to, to work a 50,000-watter, a three-letter call, 50,000-watter, and then to be accepted by people like Ty Boyd, and even the guy I replaced, H.A. Thompson, could not have been more cordial to me. Um, they never had to sell WBT to me. I was proud to be a part of its history. Still am. Uh, you're the same way. That's not something you can mandate to somebody. They either get it or they don't. And one of my fears for WBT is that uh, they'll, go, they'll, they'll go through a series of people who don't and will lose that. But... To be a part of the history of this radio station and feel like you are a part of the history of this radio station is a really special place to be, and you know that, too. One story you told me recently that uh, I'd never heard as it relates to H.A. uh, was the fact that on your first day here, you had an interaction with H.A. on his last day here. Well, I I don't exactly. They brought me in. on. I got here on a Wednesday. I was to start on a Monday. And then Friday was the day that it hit the newspapers that that, uh, James K. Flynn and Tom Desio and uh, H.A. Thompson were departing WBT. And like I said, there were no phone screeners. So all day long, people called in and and raised hell about the fact that these three well-known, loved personalities were leaving the radio station. And... um, we call it Black Friday, and I was around looking for an apartment at the time, and I can remember them saying, do you want a six- or a 12-month lease? And after listening to this, I'll never listen to the radio station again, and no, I'm not going to give the new guy a chance, and blah, blah, blah. I can remember almost looking at him saying, you got anything like by the week? Yeah, Cause uh, I'll just go down to the Holiday Inn here. I, I wasn't quite sure how long that was all going to last. But on that Friday afternoon... With all of that going on, I came back to the station, and it was um, probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, and I was going to go sit on, on Mike Collins' uh, afternoon show. I walked in through the back loading dock door, and there were three boxes sitting there on the loading dock. And so I walked down the hall and uh, listened to a couple of phone calls about uh, people who were irate with this radio station. And uh, and I saw H.A. go down the hall and I kind of followed him because I kind of wanted to say to I wanted to say something to him. And um, he picked up a box and walked it down to his car. And uh, so I think I kind of drug my feet for a while figuring do I really want to say something to him or is this the appropriate time or anything like that and then I saw him come back up to the loading dock he had his car parked around the back of the building and he grabbed another box and he headed back to his car and I saw that third box and I went and picked it up 
and I followed him down to his car, and he never saw me until he put the second box in the trunk of his car and went to turn around, I assume, to go back to get the third box, and I was essentially standing there with that box. And I remember handing it to him and saying something about, I'm sorry for the circumstances as they are. And he said something along the lines of, in the first place, it's not your fault. And in the second place, I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, go out there and make it your radio station or something along those lines. And I handed him the box and he put it in the trunk of his car and I walked away. Man, I've been listening to this station my entire life and that may be my favorite story that, that there is because... I did wonder. I mean, I know you, you all, and I've, I've talked about this uh, in many places over the last few years when talking about you, but, uh, you know, I've spotlighted the fact that H.A. was there when you got inducted into the Hall of Fame, and H.A., of course, was uh, there to shake your hand at that moment, but I never knew that story until recently back at the beginning. But So you and H.A. have been... Uh, this wasn't something that a relationship that improved over the years. It was pretty much there from the beginning. It was, with one exception. It wasn't, and I don't remember how long it was, but it had to have been nine months to a year or something like that. And all of a sudden, H.A. signed on with somebody, um, 610 or somebody, and he was going to do a, a, a show. And so all of a sudden, he was going to go up against WBT. And... Um, People would call me on the phone and say, uh, you a little nervous there, radio boy, about uh, having to go up against H.A. Thompson. And at that point, I kind of took that arrogant view of, no, bring that old goat on. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and consequently, uh, so I almost kind of uh, had to treat him like uh, the competition for a while there. I, I'm glad that was all short-lived. Well, let's get back uh, on the timeline here. And uh, so you did 8 to Midnight for a while, late live and local, you called it. Had a lot of fun there. And then you did what management told you never could happen. Uh, Jerry V, who had done, uh, gosh, when Jerry started, he did 3 to 7, I think. But uh, at this point in time, Jerry V was doing 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, sports show uh, there at night before he would leave to go to New Orleans. And now Jerry's back in this market at a different station. But for the purposes of this story, uh, Jerry V left, and so 6 to 8 became available. And how do you remember that transition going? I don't. <laughs> Um, I mean, I remember going from uh, 8 to midnight to uh, 8 to 11 to um, – so I don't specifically – I do remember uh, taking over that time slot because it was – at least then I was uh, part of the game again, 6 to 7 o'clock. I mean, you know, it's uh, – radio is kind of a up until 7 p.m. game and then uh, ratings and all that stuff don't really matter so much. Um, I don't specifically remember it. I just specifically means that, uh, no, it meant I wasn't doing uh, 8 to midnight anymore, which not only made me happy, but made my producer TJ happy, because at least at that time we could get out of the building by 9 or 10 o'clock. Um, and they kept me there for a good long while. Uh, and then f finally, at one point, we uh, I finally had enough leverage from as a commercial endorser that I thought I could uh, make a stand in contract negotiations. And uh, I essentially said, 
um, get me in prime time again. And, and, and the management was completely different. So the people who had told me no chance for advancement any, any, weren't here any longer. Um, and I finally uh, put my foot down and said, uh, use me or lose me. Well, in afternoons, after you left in 99, afternoons, uh, there was a lot of turnover there. You started off with a summer. I remember because I was uh, in the studio running the board for the summer of 99, and we had so many people try out. And interestingly enough, Brad Krantz and Richard Spires both tried out separately and then got paired late in the summer together, and so began the first post-Hancock-era show, which was called Spires and Krantz. And I think if they hadn't in some ways committed career suicide and had to break up the team and leave, they were legendary what they were doing, Uh, the Andy Griffin show and all the little nuances that made up that show. They really made that show theirs. And then it just kind of imploded on them. And and I've seen radio people get full of themselves before. This wasn't Brad Krantz, and I don't, I don't mean to be talking about Richard Spires, but uh, I, I think Richard just kind of uh, imploded a little bit. Ego got the best of him, uh, and it uh, ended the show. Well, and, and when you talk about Spires and Krantz, uh, it's Richard Spires and Brad Krantz, but it was also Britt Whitmire who did the Bob Hope voice and a lot of the... Strom Thurmond. Uh, Strom Thurmond and, 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 uh, and also John Moore. That is where John Moore figured out this is... And I know if you talk to John Moore, he, he always will wonder what if, if those guys had stayed together. But, you know, John Moore found his spot as a producer, and he was a huge part of that show. So it was an ensemble team that made that happen. And I agree with you. Uh, it was a short-lived show. I think it's probably the best short-lived show that's ever been on this station in all the years that we've been here. And the dynamic was that you had a liberal, Brad Krantz, and a conservative, Richard Spires. And uh, they would go at each other every single day. And there were days when I would walk in there and Brad Krantz just looked like he had been beaten with a wet sock. <laughs> um, because uh, so there were some days when, uh, man, it just it got the, the back and forth got to be pretty personal. But, boy, it was great radio. Well, uh, I know that at that point in my career, uh, I was doing all imaging. I was in a studio all day just doing production for the station. And uh, listening to them made me want to get back in a live studio. And they ended up pairing me with Keith Larson for the first three years that, that Keith was here before I left and uh, had my time out for a while. But but listening to that show made me want to get back in the game uh, because I, I missed it. And uh, I think that show, as short-lived as it was, uh, made all of us better in a way because it, it kind of ushered in. Uh, it didn't have to be all politics all the time. You could have some fun as well. It was a good radio station at the time. It was unique. It was uh, you never would have confused it with any other thing in the in the country. You had Al Gardner, a uh, a veteran of uh, radio wars uh, throughout the country, doing mornings, and then you had Keith Larson, uh, and Keith's uh, style is all Keith's, very unique, uh, very Keith. And then uh, you had Rush Limbaugh, and then you had Spires and Krantz, and uh, then you had me. And uh, it was, uh, at the time, uh, we, we were cooking with gas. We were doing great. So uh, Spires and Krantz, as you say, was short-lived. And then after Brad and Richard, uh, you had uh, names like 
Jason Lewis, I think, came next for a while. And then you had uh, Jeff Katz and you had Tara Servatius and ultimately Vince Coakley in there, too. Uh, you wrap back around, uh, ironically, I guess, to uh, Brad Krantz being back and, and Richard Spires was kind of off the radar. So Britt, who had been uh, that Spires and Krantz show's uh, secret ingredient, a lot of people didn't realize that Britt and Brad had done a Brad and Britt show at other stations, Rock 92 being one of them. And Greensboro. Uh, and Greensboro. So Brad and Britt had more of a history than Spires and Krantz ever did, but that was one of those things where you just kind of had, uh, you found lightning in a bottle and you ran with it. But Brad and Britt, meaning Brad Krantz and Britt Whitmire, ended up doing uh, or being hired to do Afternoons, uh, the last duo before you came back. Yeah, and um, and they kind of got screwed by me making a stand to uh, get off of nights because then all of a sudden they put me on afternoons and moved them to nights. And uh, I've always felt bad about that. But um, after being on nights for 12 years, uh, I kind of felt like I had paid my dues. And um, so I couldn't feel too bad about all of that. I didn't go after Brad and Britt's job, but I did go after something uh, better than what I had. And so you came back to afternoons, the traditional three to six shift this time. So this was a lot different than when you had uh, been relegated to afternoons to some degree. I don't know if, I mean, that may not be the perfect word for it. But when you started doing afternoons, an abbreviated version from four to six uh, back in the, the late 90s, this now three to six game was a lot different than where your head was going into that, into that gig. It was, but it was... Um People knew me. Yeah. People knew me through this radio station. Um, and so I didn't have to overcome that. And uh, quite frankly, there was never any nervousness on my uh, part. Uh, I had nothing to lose. Uh, they had already been through five afternoon shows. So all I had to do was make it longer than two years. And uh, <laughs> I set a new record for. Uh, so uh, that's kind of what we went into it with. I had no doubts that uh, we were going to be successful uh, because I was too well established here. And quite frankly, the reason I'm still here is because I do the best live spot in the business. And ratings still matter, but you can have uh, relatively low ratings, but if uh, your sponsors get response to the ads that they buy and they keep on buying those ads, then your job is secure. So it's more of a, ra- it's more of a revenue business. It's interesting how communications in a lot of different entertainment aspects have changed over the years. It used to be that musicians would do concerts to sell albums. And uh, and make money, or, or they would make albums. Yeah, they would do concerts to sell albums and make money. And now it's exactly the opposite. Now they make albums to sell tickets, uh, and the money comes from the concert gigs, not from the album sales. And radio's a completely deal for deal too. It used to be, who had the largest share in town was King. But now you don't necessarily have. We're all going for our, you know, five to ten percent niche of the market. Some countries are playing new country. Some are playing old country. We're doing conservative right wing talk. There's a public station in town that leans more left. We're all looking for our little niche. And if you can be successful for your advertisers, that's your job security. Well, I was talking to Al Gardner the other day uh, in a previous century podcast and uh, he was talking about uh, those little rocks that they got for us after 9-11 that had the ratings i've got it you uh you've been here as long as you have uh you know my history here and and al was here for a long time we can all remember 
you can count on one hand the number of times, ratings-wise, we've been number one. And most often, it's been after some sort of big news event like 9-11 or Hurricane Hugo or, or something where, uh, you know, impeachment, something, and I mean Clinton impeachment. I don't know how the ratings are going to be for this impeachment if there is one, but usually number one ratings for WBT are tied to events that help. Uh, but I always tell people uh, we're, we're in the mix. We've always been in the mix, but very rarely number one rated, but almost always number one billing station yep. in town. Yep, and and that's that's the job security for all of us because it is. It's a it's a revenue business. It's not a ratings re- uh, business anymore. Well, you and I could go on for a long time, and we don't have. Uh, unlimited time, but I want to get to a few things uh, before we let you go here, John Hancock. I want to do some, I want to just throw out some names. Some of these names we've uh, hit on briefly, but and some of them not at all, but some names over your years and just get some brief thoughts about these people. And I want to go back uh, to the very beginning, uh, John Kilgo. I love John. John's uh, institution in this town is a newspaper writer and is a uh, media, radio, TV. Um, John was the general manager here for someplace around a year, but he was the GM when uh, Mary June Rose and assistant program director and Mike Collins program director found my cassette tape and decided they were going to fly me in here. And so that was the first time I ever met John Kilgo. And uh, we went through the whole series. They took me out to Mangione's on East Boulevard for dinner. And uh, so we went through the whole deal. And uh, they made me go down to the Roach Lab in uh, Charlotte and uh, take a drug test. In other words, pee in a jar. And uh, we went back to John Kilgo's office. I'll never forget this. I had been fired in Jacksonville in 1989 from a morning show job. And I think I was making $32,000 a year. And we walked into Kilgo's office, and he uh, closed the door and sat me down, and he said, if you pass that drug test, I think we want you. I'm willing to pay you $40,000 a year to come in here and do 10 to 1 for me. Well, I remember in my heart, I was thinking, 40 grand? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you can't. You can't do a backflip at the first offer. So I remember saying to him, gosh, Mr. Kilgo, I could not possibly come here for uh, less than 45. And there was a small pause, and he said, oh, bull crap, you've been unemployed for nine months. I'll give you 42.5. Come on, we're going to Valentino's for lunch. And that was my contract negotiation. Um, Kilgo took the heat when I got here. And I will never – he came to me one day, and he said – you do the show, and I'll answer, I'll take the heat. And he did. I knew that they were getting lots of complaints, and I knew that, you know, back in those days we didn't have uh, email and stuff, so he was getting, people were calling in, he was getting pink slips on his desk of complainers and so on and so forth. But he never brought that to me. He never put that on my shoulders. He told me, you go do the shows, and I'll take care of the negativity. By my count, you, uh, you have gone through seven PDs during your time here. Mary June Rose. Uh, Loyal. She's just been loyal to me from uh, the day I walked into town and uh, underrated. She left here and became the program director of WGN in Chicago. Uh, She's pretty accomplished. Mike Collins. 
uh, we'll always be grateful to uh, Mike. Um, uh, and, and, and Mike uh, Mike deserves to be in the WBT Hall of Fame. Uh, might not ever happen. Uh, but when I first got here, he had been here 13 years. I remember somebody telling me that, and I was thinking to myself, oh, gosh, I'll never last at a radio station for 13 years. But all the respect in the world. I think he's the best interviewer and one of the greatest uh, media people in the, in the city. Henry Bogan. Oh, man. Just a treasure. Just a... Just a unique snapshot of days gone by. Um, I've often wondered what would happen if uh, Henry applied for a job today. He probably wouldn't get it. What a shame that is. Don Russell. Greatest sense of humor. Quickest sense of humor I think I've uh, ever known. He, um, he's just got a lightning quick mind. David Eads. Oh, man. Where would our history be without David Eads? David Eads was our assistant program director for a long, long time, but he's also the guy that jumped in the dumpster and pulled out half of our memorabilia and history because GMs would come in and clean out a closet and throw all that stuff away. And this is true for Channel 3, too. And it was David Eads, who now is kind of like the archivist over at the Billy Graham Library, but it was David Eads that uh, jumped in those dumpsters and put all that stuff out and uh, saved a lot of our heritage. And he's another guy like Carl East that uh, loved this radio station, was so proud to be a part of this radio station, and it's just sad they're not a part of it anymore. Randall Bloomquist. History. (laughs) Now, listen, Randall and I had our moments, and uh, we didn't talk for a long, long time. And then uh, when I came back to do nights, um, he uh, sent me a letter and said, uh, couldn't be happier. This is where you belong. Uh, Welcome home. Uh, I appreciated that. Bill White. Um, Pro. Uh, Veteran. Should have never told me I had no chance for an advancement ever. <laughs> How do you like me now? <laughs> no. uh, Carl East. Um, I miss Carl. Carl was the assistant program director. Carl represented a time of uh, when they used to hire people whose life goal was to work at this radio station. And uh, the fact that Carl's not still wandering the halls is some kind of sad. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, John Stokes. I think he's the most valuable voice on the radio station. Uh, Whether people know it or not, when you turn on WBT, and Jim Barrell was the same way, and you heard one of those two guys doing news, you just knew you were at the right station. Or if you were driving in and you had been out of town for a couple of years and you were coming in and all of a sudden you got that WBT signal and you heard uh, Stokes or Barrell, then you knew you were close to home. Uh, Al Gardner. A pro's pro. I mean, just a just a really professional radio man uh, and unflappable. I um and awe in the air all the time. You'll never hear Al Gardner um and awe. He uh, uh, iron pants. If you (laughs) I mean, that's what we used to call him. But uh, listen, couldn't have had a better person on the air the day 9-11 happened. Al Gardner did not um and all. This is what Al Gardner did, because I worked with him for a long time. Uh, Al Gardner's version of um was on News Talk 1110 WBT. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he kind of like, that, that was his, how he pulled his thoughts together. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like when a politician says, well, I'm glad you asked that question, because yes. that gives them time in their mind to go, how am I going to answer this damn question? Danny Fontana, the late Danny Fontana. You know, I could say a lot of things about Danny, uh, but one of the things that every time, the, the 401Ks started when Danny was here. 
And so every time uh, we would have to change our electives or something like that in 401ks, you'd run to Danny and say, well, you know, what, what do I do? Where do I put my money? So on and so forth. Danny uh, not only helped me make sure that my money was going into the right categories, um, but he also is the one who instituted, in my mind, stay the course. Don't follow the stock market every day. Don't panic. And I have. I've stayed in the course for uh, 18 months. And uh, by listening to Danny, I'm able to retire. Danny did uh, several shifts here. He was part of the morning show. He had his own show in the afternoon. Uh, he left and started his own radio station uh, even uh, in later years and, and passed away in 2015. Jerry Valancourt, or better known here as Jerry V, had a sports show for many, many years uh, in the afternoons. Uh, also went away with the Hornets, and now he's back in town at another station. But what about uh, the V-Man? Throw me in the pool. Um I watched him in front of a crowd of people one time. Everybody at once, just yell at me and say, throw me in the pool, please. One, two, three. I love that. I love that. Let me hear you say, WBT. That's not bad. But I think he had half of the auditorium saying Jerry and the other half of the auditorium saying V. And uh, I always wish I'd have done that. <laughs> uh, how about Stacy Sims, who, of course, uh, was Al Gardner's co-host in the morning uh, for Charlotte's Morning News for, for a decade, actually. Absolute steady performance every day and has done more for juvenile diabetes in this town than probably anybody I can think of. And uh, quite the pioneer as a podcaster, too. Yeah, she's just, uh, she uh, she was a pioneer as a TV broadcaster as well, back with her health reports and all of that stuff. She uh, She's accomplished. Keith Larson. Complex. Uh, we, we did a lot of good things. Keith was my biggest supporter. I was his biggest supporter. So we uh, did a lot for kids and so on and so forth. And, uh, man, there were days when uh, he would do a show and offer a perspective or an angle that was, in, in some cases, the best talk radio I've ever heard. Jim Zoki. Well, he should be the, he's the next icon. He ought to be the next one up on the wall if it's uh, not John Stokes. That's my opinion. Jim was here before I got here. He was the uh, young buck in the uh, sports department at the time, and uh, now he's the old vet on the Panthers broadcast team. I, uh, Zoki's one of my favorite people. Rick Jackson. He literally brought WBT back uh, financially and reputation-wise. And Listen, he and I had our ups and downs over the years, but uh, when I think of Rick Jackson, I think nothing but positive thoughts. Uh, he, uh, he left the radio station on uh, solid, solid ground, probably still the foundation that we uh, sit on. John Robinson. As talented a guy as I've ever met in my life. Who got, he got fired from radio, and TV was waiting outside the office to offer him a job when he came out. I mean, he was unemployed for like eight minutes. He, uh, he was great at sports. Anybody that remembers Hunter Huss High School back in the day in the University of Maryland basketball team. He was great on radio in the morning show. He was great at TV. But he's tragic, too. Uh, I love John Robinson. I hope I'll always be there for him. How about Mike Doyle? Future Dominican heartthrob. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I assume someday he'll probably be living down in South America sometime. He, he travels down there by himself. Uh, got a lot of admiration for uh, Mike. Uh, steady. Great news guy.
Jason Lewis. And this one, I know Jason Lewis, uh, there were a couple of different Jason Lewis <laughs> eras as it relates to you uh, being around him and, and working with him. He went after my job in the newspapers uh, when he first got here in the uh, 90s, and, uh, and he and I didn't get off to a really good start. Uh, smartest guy I've ever heard on the radio. Um, he can all of a sudden uh, say to a caller, well, that's like the 1932 Supreme Court decision, uh, Schmidt versus Johnson. And you think, who knows that? Well, Jason Lewis knows that. Um, very definitely one of the most intelligent people I ever uh, met. And he and I are on good terms or OK terms now. But for a good many years there, we didn't get along at all. Well, he uh, he ran successfully for uh, Congress there in Minneapolis, uh, and now he's running for U.S. Senate. So uh, maybe we're going to hear a lot more from Jason Lewis. We'll see. How about Jeff Katz? Well, Jeff Katz is another one of those uh, steady guys. Um, you know what you're going to get from him on any given day. Uh, dedicated to his kids, dedicated to his wife. And, uh, you, you know, when, when people have setbacks in radio, when they're uh, told, uh, don't come in anymore, you have to decide how bad do you want it. And uh, Jeff Katz is a guy who wants it bad, wants to be a part of, uh, of radio bad. And uh, so he goes and gets the job where he has to go and get the job. Tara Servatius. Probably deserved a better break here. Was a great columnist here. And uh, through the help of Keith Larson, kind of established herself as uh, maybe uh, having some potential as a talk show host and got fired here for no necessarily uh, fault of her own. And she's one of the people, along with Vince, who I can remember saying, um, and Pete Callender saying, how bad do you want it? Well, she wanted it bad enough to go down and work at Myrtle Beach and bad enough to go work in Columbia, South Carolina, and bad enough to go to Greenville, and she's working her way up the ladder. I got a lot of respect for that. Of course, uh, Pete Callender, you mentioned, he's in Asheville now doing a, a successful radio show there. Yeah, and I told him that this afternoon show was going to open up at WBT, and I don't think he has any desire. I think he's pretty happy up there. Kind of found his uh, his niche, his home. Uh, Vince Coakley, who, again, like Jason Lewis, has, has been here several times. Vince uh, started calling me in the 90s to go have lunch with him from time to time, and he, he would we would sit down and have lunch, and he would talk to me about talk shows. Now, this is the anchor at the number one television station in town. And I kept on thinking, there's no way that, why would you do that? Why would you give up the income of being the anchor of uh, the number one TV broadcast station in Charlotte to go take a, a talk show? But he found television limiting and uh, he wanted some place where he could spread his wings and expand a little bit. And radio talk shows or what he wanted to do. So to walk away from an anchor job to uh, work your way up the ladder and talk radio, there's another guy that deserves respect. Mark Garrison. Mark Garrison, greatest storyteller on the radio. Okay, so this one's going to venture uh, outside of uh, us right now, but this goes all the way back to uh, just about the very beginning. And most people uh, don't know him if I, if I use both of his names. <laughs> if I say John Wilson, they say, who's that? If I say Wilson, oh, they know who that is. And, and you, you knew John before he was just Wilson. Survivor. He, um, 
technically was kind of like my first producer, although there wasn't really a defined role of producer back in those days. But John used to be hanging out in the studio with me, and if I needed something, uh, John would go uh, do it. And then he left here, and he um, started doing uh, nights at the Fox. Yep. And then he left the Fox and started doing mornings at the end. And then I took his job at the end. Um, and it didn't exactly happen that way, but that's the way it uh, it, 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 it it fell. And um, and then he went out and reinvented himself on TV, and he's been doing this uh, role at WCCB, a role that didn't even exist. He went out and invented it, wrote it, produced it, um, and he's a he's an integral part of Charlotte Media now. I, I'm really proud of him, uh, but he is he's uh, he's the ultimate survivor. Don't tell me I can't watch me. Jason first. Well, he took me off nights and put me on afternoons, so I'll uh, forever be uh, grateful for that. He uh, comes from a great radio programmer uh, that uh, Alan first is his father, and uh, he comes with lots of respect. But uh, uh, lots of love for Jason uh, just by believing in me when he got here. Jason was a program director here, uh, and then the, the latest program director, the one that's here now, Mike Schaefer. Uh, came across the country from KFI to work at WBT, so that's two three-letter calls. I'm envious. How about Boomer Von Cannon? Oh, Boomer. I don't uh, let's, know. let's just skip him. we got nothing to say about him. <laughs> I don't know how you describe Boomer, but the guy you hear on the radio, that's Boomer. He was doing overnights uh, at, uh, at Magic when I went down to the end, and they were owned by the same people. And uh, before we went on to the morning show, he'd come out of the building. And uh, I remember asking my morning show partner, Ethan, one time, what is his deal? And uh, then I found out that's Boomer. Boomer's just exuberant and uh, happy and... He's like a cheerleader. The last thing, every time I see him before we go on in the afternoon at three o'clock, he's like, "Come on, let's go get him, boy." <laughs> uh, he's uh, he, he's uh, there's no there'll never be another boomer. You can't go any place in town and not have somebody say, "Hey, where's Boomer?" Matt Hanlon, current current uh, general manager of uh, Intercom Charlotte, um, has treated me with all the respect in the world since I got here. And knew the knew the retirement was coming up and has been, done everything he can. In the first place, I think he was instrumental in getting me in the WBT Hall of Fame, uh, along with people like you and others. So I'll always be appreciative of that, uh, an honor I never thought I'd see. Um, but uh, this retirement thing, uh, he's just done everything he can to make sure that it works out the way that I want it to be. I saved this one for last on purpose, but... T.J. Boggs. Yeah, T.J. I'll almost get emotional with T.J. Um, T.J.'s been with me for 10 years. He's my producer. He's. Uh, I've gotten to know his family. Uh, I know his wife. You know, I just uh, I love T.J. Uh, because of his loyalty. Um, he's, uh, he's smarter than you might give him credit. Uh, he's got great insight. Um, uh, you know, when I think of Henry Bogan, I think of Wendell. Wendell was his producer. I used to call him the nighttime general manager. I hope when people think of John Hancock in the future, they think of TJ. Do you suppose there are some radio pros out there that are vicariously living through you the way that you have earned the right to end this? Well, I hope so. I, I think uh, I, I think there's some people out there that are genuinely happy for me. Uh, and uh, And how great is that? They may be a little envious that, I mean, I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that uh, maybe there's people out there that are thinking, why why can't I get that? When I have a night like I did uh, 
uh, at the WBT Hall of Fame or the recently on this uh, Wednesday night when all the listeners got together to uh, say goodbye to me, I look around the room and see people and I hope they get their night someday because uh, it's it's a it's a great feeling. So I, I hope uh, I hope there's I, I think there's generally people out there that are very happy for me and maybe a little envious too. Is there a best interview that you ever did? Yeah. that immediately come to mind? Well, Dutch Van Kirk, the uh, navigator for the Enola Gay, sat in the studio with us one night for an hour, and that was fascinating. And uh, we got to know Grace Slick pretty well from Jefferson Airplane because she came through town about three times, and we got her every time for about an hour. And by the time we got on that third hour, that third time, we were almost pretty good friends. But uh, Wolfman Jack... Um, I had met Wolfman Jack in Denver a thousand years ago uh, at the KIMN Radio 25th reunion, and I was uh, spinning night records in a nightclub uh, where they had this big gala with the Kim Jocks, which is the station I grew up in, so that was big enough, but Wolfman came in for it. And then in my years here, 93, 94, I'm thinking, I was doing 9 to noon, and I had a chance to interview Wolfman Jack, who was living on the Outer Banks at the time. And uh, he called in on the phone, and I said to him on hold, I, got, well, I walked over during the commercial break, and I picked up the phone, and I said, hey, Wolfman, you won't remember me, but uh, I met you at the KIMN radio reunion um, back 10, 15 years ago, or whatever it was, 20 years ago. And I just wanted to say hi to you, and I'm going to get you on the air in just a couple seconds, and man, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled that you agreed to do the interview. He... Uh, he said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it or something like that. So I uh, get him on the air and I say, uh, you know, over to the over the line we go and uh, here's Wolfman Jack. And he starts off and says, John, boy, how long has it been since I've seen you? I think it was probably, what well, would it have been the KIMN reunion, wouldn't it? He took what I had told him and made me look like a big shot. And I've just, I just, I remember thinking about it when he said it, and I've never forgotten it. What a pro! What a pro's pro to make to be aware that if he could make me look good, that like he, like he and I were buds. Um, I've never forgotten that. And, and 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 quite frankly, I've gone into some interviews before with people that have uh, that I've been an influence on, and and tried to kind of do the reciprocate the same thing. That's a great story. Uh, now I'm going to flip it around. Is there a worst all-time interview or just bad experience uh, with, a, with a guest that, that comes back to you immediately? Well, there's a guy that uh, used to work for uh, uh, <laughs> for Clear Channel named Gabe Hobbs that I never could uh, have a good conversation with when I was looking through a job. That's not necessarily what you're asking, is it? Um, no, that's fine. I just uh, I wanted what what came to mind first. And well, if there's I, if there's not an immediate one, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, Mickey Delins was a jerk, um, but uh, that was small potatoes. Uh, we've had some politicians. I've had some people hang up on me, and uh, I had. Uh, uh, trying to remember who it was. Well, I remember the knockdown drag out with Parks Helms that night. But you guys, I, I mentioned this at uh, your gathering a few weeks ago with the listeners. Uh, Parks Helms was an interview uh, that, that, I mean, you guys were mixing it up. And this was at the height of his 
era of influence as the county commission chairman, but I remember at the end of the conversation, as heated as it got, you both said... Uh, <laughs> We're not going anywhere. And, and let me tell you, I'm not going anywhere either. I like you. I've I like never, you, too. I've never voted for you. George Dunlap and I got into a knockdown drag out. And if I remember correctly, uh, when it was all said and, uh, said and done with, George said, thanks, John. I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> and that meant it wasn't personal. That meant uh, we were fighting for, uh, for the sides that we were fighting for. When you look back over all of these eras we've talked about, of uh, you know, like I said, seven different eras technically, uh, from beginning in 1990 to uh, the end here in 2019, do you have regrets? Well, yeah. Uh, you don't. I don't take too many phone callers home with me, uh, but every now and then you handle one badly or you... I did a show one time on obituaries. And uh, because I, I, I think everybody's got a book in them. And... Uh, I was talking about obituaries, and I was saying, you know, you look in the in the newspaper, and here's a picture of somebody who has passed away, and there's like two paragraphs or, a, you know, a half an inch of, and you just think to yourself, gosh, that person has to have more of a life story than that, because everybody has victories and defeats and sorrows and uh, joys and... And then I used an obituary from the newspaper that day... To, to echo my point, and I said, you know, here's a lady who has passed away, and uh, her column was about an inch long, and I said, she's got to have been more than that, and it, it says she's got kids, and no sooner did I get off the air that uh, the phone, my phone rang at my desk, and I picked it up, and it was the daughter of that lady. How dare you? Wow. Um, how dare you, while we are in our grief, use my mother uh, as a as an example, a bad example on your stupid little radio program, and uh, God, I, I just always thought she's. I mean, she was exactly right. It was just the stupidest thing I could have done. Uh, I could have gone back and gotten an obituary from, you know, a different newspaper, a different city, a different time, uh, one for four years ago or something like that. Um, obviously, I've never heard from her again. Um, but I, I, you know, and I tell, I've told the story a couple of times, I guess, uh, kind of wishing that maybe she'd hear it and know that I still think about it, but yeah, you have regrets, but I always, I've, I've never forgotten that lady. Uh, and I, I still apologize to her for uh, using, uh, her sorrow at the time for my stupid little radio program. Well, one lady I know you will never forget, and I purposely uh, wanted to give some space between the, 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 the rapid-fire names and this, this next name, but uh, you can't tell the John Hancock story without talking about Sharon Sanders. Oh, yeah. Kids first. I was uh, on the air one day, and there was a lady that called from Statesville, and she said, John, I don't know who else to call. I have three kids that go to the school that I uh, teach at, and they came to school this morning, and they went home after school, let out this afternoon, and Mom has packed up and left, and I don't know what to do with them. And uh, I said, I don't know what to do with them either, but uh, hold on to them, and... Uh, and I'll jump in my car in about a half an hour and head your direction and uh, come pick them up and we'll uh, take it from there. So I called uh, my wife, Susan, and I said, tell the boys that I need them to stay at their dad's house tonight. I need their rooms. I'm going up to Statesville to pick up these uh, three kids. I don't know what we're going to do with them, but it's certainly I 
can figure out through connections uh, where I can get them and so on and so forth. So I was arranging some stuff and I was out in the lobby of the radio station and I was uh, talking to the receptionist about this, that and the other. And um, this blonde haired woman kept on asking me questions and who are the kids and blah and this, that and the other. And Within 15 minutes, she had a place for them to stay and clothes for them to wear and so on and so forth. And that's the day I met Sharon Sanders. That was Sharon Sanders. And uh, I, I, I can remember saying to her, who are you? Um, but she had all these resources and all these answers. I, and um, I didn't go up to Statesville. She got arrangements to take care of these kids through connections she had up in Statesville. And then we had them to this Christmas party that she threw for kids. And this would have been right around October, November when this happened anyway, probably November. So we invited him to this kid's Christmas party. And Sharon at the time was having a throw in a Christmas party for homeless or near homeless kids. And she was probably taking care of about 50 kids a year, making sure that they got Christmas presents and bikes if possible. And and I just got involved with her 25, 26 years ago, and we just have built it and built it and built it and built it. I've just never met anybody that cares more about people. Uh, than Sharon Sanders does uh, all year long. Make sure they get stuff to eat during the summer and t- taken care of at Thanksgiving and and uh, Christmas. And uh, the kids' first thing now, we take care of over 2,000 kids every year. We raise 1,000 bikes or more. We uh, I, I don't even know what the monetary value would be in terms of toys and uh, food and presents and so on and so forth. But it's got to be over 25 years. It's got to be in the millions now that we've uh, somehow or another uh, managed to put together for kids first. But uh, Sharon keeps on, always gives me the credit for everything. But let me tell you, um, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm just a worker bee. She, uh, this is a Sharon Sanders, uh, this is from her heart. We are nearing the finish line here, I promise. I appreciate you sitting down for as long as you have with me because uh, you've been doing several interviews and you have your last week of shows coming up next week uh, as we record right now. Uh, but I, I asked this same question as I've started to do this, this century podcast that I call it because we are uh, creeping closer to 100 years I've asked Ty Boyd this. I, I, I talked about uh, the same thing with Al Gardner and H.A. Thompson. But I want to ask you, and, and you have uh, uh, perhaps the, the longest body of work to look back on, but when you think of, look back on, uh, hear the word, the John Hancock era at WBT, it's 29 years. How would you describe that time period, and how do you hope other people describe this time span well i just think i'm another chapter um this radio station has so much history to it i will and you fall into this category too i will forever be thankful that i got here when i got here it was jefferson pilot owned Charlie Crutchfield was still alive. Lunas McGlowan was still alive. Arthur Smith was still alive. The Briar Hoppers were still alive. I got to know H.A. Thompson. I got to know Ty Boyd. Um, I got to know Russell and Flynn. I got to know, you know, H.A. I, 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 I got to know the history of this radio station. I never met Grady, um, but I got pretty much got a chance to meet almost everybody else that's, uh, that's a mainstay. I was asked to MC Arthur Smith's funeral. Uh, greatest honor of my life to be part of a three-letter call radio station if you're a radio junkie at all and you and i both are to be a part of a three-letter call 
50,000-watt blowtorch radio station is a distinct honor. And to be a part of this radio station and its honor my uh, and its heritage, history, when they write the book, if anybody ever does, when they write the book on WBT, they have to include me. And I've never been more proud of anything in my whole life. Well, you said a few minutes ago the phrase, I uh, got a book in them. <laughs> Is there a book in you? I mean, that's, a, that's one way of, a, of asking the question, now what, John? Well, there may be a book in me. I'm probably too lazy to write it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, um, we'll see. Uh, I'm a week away from retirement. I have no idea how much John Hancock, the radio guy, is wrapped up into David Hancock, the son of Ruth and Hal Hancock. Um, So I'm smart enough to know that there's probably adjustments that I'll have to make that I'm not uh, totally aware of. I'm looking forward to it. I'm prepared for it. But um, I've been John Hancock, the radio announcer, all my life. And uh, so I'm not really sure what that's going to be. I don't think being on the air, uh, that that lack, um, although when I left here in 99, a week after that happened, Columbine happened. And all of a sudden, when I didn't have that outlet to voice my opinion or uh, or, or say so, I, I felt a void there. So I'm I'm sure there will be some times when I wish I had the, the platform. And, and maybe at some point or another, I'll come back and do a commentary or I'll have a, a platform again. Never the three hours a day, five day a week thing again, but. Uh, so well, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see uh, what uh, what the what the future. I'm I'm mindful not to let my mind just go to waste, and um, so I will find things to stimulate me. Hey, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, you you mean a lot to me. You mean a lot to the radio station and the Charlotte broadcasting community at large. And uh, whatever it is that uh, you end up doing, you deserve it. And uh, so thanks for everything. Well, and I, I echo the same to you because uh, you are um, you're 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 kind of the last link of uh, you're the bridge. I always kind of saw myself as the uh, as the bridge between the old. WBT and the new WBT um, and now you're the bridge and uh, I hope we never lose that I, and I, I do I sincerely hope that uh, someday you get your day and someday uh, you're up on that wall and all the things that have been uh, uh, bestowed to me um, I wish for you because uh, somebody needs to be at this radio station that appreciates it for what it is and was not just how much money it can make So uh, I'll let you close it out the way you always close your show out by saying, F*** you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) We're out of here. Sorry. We're closed.